Are evangelicals making Jesus a Republican? Do some Christians place too much emphasis on stopping abortion and same-sex marriage? We'll ask pastor, speaker, and author Tony Campolo. And we'll continue to follow Barack Obama on his foreign tour. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. I had the courage and the judgment to say that I would rather lose a political campaign than lose a war. It seems to me that Senator Obama would rather lose a war in order to win a political campaign. All right, that is John McCain. Of course, he is running for president of the United States against Barack Obama, and he's making the point that Obama would not even be able to visit, really, in Iraq had we not had a surge. Obama opposed the surge, and McCain was a voice crying in the wilderness in support of the surge. In just a moment, we're going to contrast McCain and Obama What they're saying today about foreign policy, international relationship, the war on terror, you don't want to miss it. A little bit later in the program, we will interview a guest who does a lot of television. Here's Tony Campolo on the hour. Evangelicals, like 80 percent, more than 80 percent, voted for George Bush. And that's not a bad thing. What is the bad thing is there's been a tendency among many evangelicals to suggest that if you're not in the Republican Party, mm-hmm. that somehow you don't walk with God, that somehow you're, you're... And I think to make Jesus either a Republican or a Democrat, to tie Jesus up with a political party, is blasphemy, it's wrong, it's distorting, and it gives to, to any political party arrogance. We're the God party. Well, it's actually a lot of fun and sometimes a little frustrating to interview Dr. Tony Campolo. We do appreciate his encouragement to Christians to be involved in the political process. But he's a real critic of the religious right of people who support, for instance, President Bush on the war in Iraq or who are avidly pro-life, or maybe who oppose the advancing homosexual agenda, like gay marriage, things like that. And he says that evangelicals should be more about fighting poverty and environmental degradation. His fellow member of the religious left, Jim Wallace, calls him an elder statesman. You can figure that out. (laughs) Dr. Campolo, though, will join us in the next segment. All right, folks, that will be a friendly, lively debate. We don't agree on the war. We don't agree on marriage. We don't agree on abortion. We don't agree on the environment. 
environment. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with this. But uh, Campola on the evangelical left, if there is such a thing, he is that. He is it. But right now, and this will be a great setup for the Campolo piece, let's talk about what's happening in the presidential election. Because I think the so-called evangelical manifesto, I think people like Campolo and Wallace and the Sojourners crowd are trying to say there is a moral equivalency between the Republicans and the Democrat when it comes to uh, Christian politics. And I think, actually, there is a contrast between the two parties. I think there's a contrast, Penna, between the two candidates. And we're going to talk about the war uh, against the Islamofascist right now, because here's Barack Obama. Uh, He's touring the Middle East in Amman, Jordan. He says he stands behind his call to withdraw U.S. forces by 2010. My goal is to no longer have U.S. troops engaged in combat operations in Iraq. Okay, that's his goal. Now, he was talking about 2010. Now, I think it's interesting. If you took out 2010, that's Bush's goal to get the troops out. That's McCain's goal to get the troops out. And so he's pretending here that he's the peace candidate and the the candidate that wants the troops to come home. Every American wants these troops to come home. The question is, are we going to come home in defeat? Are we going to come home in victory? And when we listened to him a year and a half ago, it would have been defeat, absolute humiliating defeat. Al-Qaeda would be running Iraq right now. Here's Obama again saying he has specifically avoided saying how many (laughs) troops he would want to leave. Uh, By the way, uh, I'm laughing because... Uh, A year or two ago, he already wanted everyone out by now, and so everyone. And so he says, uh, today, today, his latest version is, uh, well, I won't say how many I want out by 2010. That is precisely the kind of thing where our military commanders have to tell me what they need in order to accomplish that mission. That is Bush's position. That is McCain's position. Where has this guy been? He's pretending that uh, he's offering some kind of a change on the war. If that really is his position, that's exactly the Bush and McCain position. The commander's on the ground. He's got a problem with that because Petraeus and others say, look, uh, Petraeus is saying, uh, we we don't want to bring everybody home with an arbitrary deadline of 2010. Okay, third up here, uh, last Obama quote. He says... The U.S. needs to shift its attention to Afghanistan. The situation in Afghanistan is perilous and urgent. We must act now to reverse a deteriorating situation. All right. I don't know if, um, you know, if people are going to take him seriously, Penna. Um, he, it's very interesting that uh, he was, you know, he's being puffed by the major media and sure. the coverage. He was set to give this speech at the Brandenburg Gate. It was going to be political. Uh, the uh, Germans finally discouraged that. And he picked this site, uh, this victory memorial, that is a site that uh, is associated with the Nazis. So that was a major gaffe by his campaign. But uh, And he's expecting to have huge crowds, apparently. Uh, but the press is not reporting the gaffes, uh, the flip-flops. For instance, we covered on this station, on this program, two months ago, Obama's speech to the Jewish leaders. And I said that day, I cannot believe he said this. He said, I want Jerusalem to be a united city. I want Jerusalem to be the Jewish capital. And nobody since President Bush I has said that. Uh, his son didn't, hasn't said right. it. 
Uh, Bill Clinton didn't say it. That was a very pro-Israel statement that he made. To, he now, was considering his audience. But now he's had to backtrack mm-hmm. as, as he's been walking through the Middle East. He said, well, I didn't really mean that. I don't want Jerusalem to be uh, the Jewish capital. I don't want it to be a united Jewish kind of a city. You know, you mentioned the media, Dr. Johnson. There was a very interesting in- interview by Terry Moran, uh, and he was really actually pushing Barack Obama on the surge because Obama had to admit when he saw Baghdad and he saw Iraq, he had to admit that the surge had done some good. But Moran kept pushing him on whether, in retrospect, he would have voted for the surge. And Obama, you know, kind of waffled back and forth and said no, he couldn't. And when asked why, it was because of political reasons. In other words, he couldn't be the political candidate that he is if he had back then supported the surge, even though, you know, he would have been prophetic and known that it was going to work. It was... I thought it was a telling moment. I was glad to see this liberal journalist actually push him on that, and I thought it just showed that he really doesn't have good judgment. How can you expect someone to have good judgment if they wouldn't make the right decision for our national security, knowing what they know now? Every day at the beginning of this program, we play President Bush before Congress after 9-11. We will not tire. We will not falter. We will not fail. Uh, we, we play President Bush saying, everyone will hear from us soon. And the country was united after 9-11. Uh, the Democrats, the Republicans united in Afghanistan, united really to go into Iraq. The president had the authorization of Congress. Who politicized this war? The Democrats politicized this war. And Barack Obama is still politicizing it, and he cannot admit the success of the surge because it would hurt his campaign. Now, let's go to John McCain mm-hmm. today because that's McCain's point. He's campaigning in New Hampshire. He says he was right about the strategy in Iraq then, and He's right now. Well over a year ago, when everybody declared my candidacy dead, and I said that the strategy has failed, we've got to do the surge, and the surge can succeed, and we will succeed. We have succeeded, and we will win the war in Iraq. And we are winning. All right, victory. Somebody said it this way. You don't end wars. You win wars, or you lose them. You can't just end them. And that's the way Obama talks. We're going to end this war. McCain says we're going to win this war. Here's McCain saying Obama has been consistently wrong about the Iraq surge. He was wrong then. He's wrong now. And he still fails to acknowledge. He still fails to acknowledge that the surge succeeded. All right. To your point, Penna, that he's not willing, even after visiting over there, to say Look, and by the way, everyone was using this language of civil war a year ago, that there is a civil war in Iraq. Actually, now nobody is using that language. There is no civil war. The the Sunnis and the Shia have been cooperating back and forth. The president of Iraq has shown great leadership in that regard, going against his own tribe, his own religious denomination, so to speak, and siding uh, with the other group from time to time. And this government is showing that they can deal uh, with an equal hand with the Sunnis and the Shias. There is no civil war now, and nobody is talking about that. What solved that potential crisis? Well, it was the surge mm-hmm. that broke the back of the civil war. I remember hearing people like Obama and Hillary and many others saying, look, there's a civil war, 
and we're just going to get sucked into this thing, and it'll be never-ending. That, that didn't happen. Well, the other success is they pushed back al-Qaeda. But, you know, they're regrouping, and if we just pulled everyone out, or even if we signal when we're going to pull everyone out, they'll be back. And that's the point that McCain has made. Remember we mentioned yesterday New York Times wouldn't publish McCain's editorial. It was published in the New York Post today. Well, good for them. Well, McCain says, look, what this is about is politics. Obama has been opposed to the surge, to success, because his campaign is predicated on failure in Iraq. I had the courage and the judgment to say that I would rather lose a political campaign than lose a war. It seems to me that Senator Obama would rather lose a war in order to win a political campaign. All right, so folks, this is a great setup because we are Christians. It is important that not we have a Republican or Democrat view, but a Christian view of all things, including war. The Bible does teach in Romans 13 that the government leader is a minister of God, wielding the sword against those who would do evil. Uh, The Bible teaches that elsewhere. We're going to have a guest coming up, though, in a few minutes, which basically uh, is taking the hard left position on the war. He says the president ought to get up and apologize to the United Nations and to all the other countries. We ought to take the military out and just send a bunch of money into Iraq to rebuild the country. What do you think about that? Tony Campolo was also um, interviewed uh, by Stephen Colbert uh, about the homosexual agenda. I want you to listen to it. Now, what about this? What about what about the gay agenda? The left is all about the gay agenda. The 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 the, the gays are out to destroy uh, marriage, and and you're a Democrat, therefore you think the same thing. The truth is that marriage is in trouble in this country because gays are threatening us. No, it's because the heterosexuals are getting divorces. The gays want to get married. That's the reality. Mm-hmm. So they can get divorced too. They're they're jealous. Yeah, well, they are jealous of our divorces. You know, all they really want is the same privileges, good or bad, that the rest of us enjoy. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not affirming a particular lifestyle. I am, in fact, standing up for all the rights and privileges that all Americans should enjoy. However wrong they may be. (laughs) All right, a little humor there. Tony Campolo is a funny guy, but is he right? Is he right about the Bible? Is he right about the war, marriage, abortion, politics, the environment? We're going to talk to him about those subjects when we come back. Again, he's proposing that President Bush apologize to the United Nations for the Iraq War. He's proposing that we give homosexuals the same rights in terms of marriage that we give heterosexuals. He's proposing that evangelicals should not be focused solely on the abortion issue. What do you make of all of this? When we come back, Tony Campolo, the author of the book, Red Letter Christians, a lively debate I suspect when we come back. I've got a full-time job and a family, and I'm also getting a master's degree at Criswell College. The new Mac at Night program offers evening block courses for a Master of Arts in Counseling degree. It's so convenient and fits my busy lifestyle as a mom and a professional. Mac at Night offers licensure and non-licensure programs so you can gain ministry knowledge and even prepare for a doctorate. Mac at Night professors are at the top of the Christian counseling field, and Criswell College is partnered with a number of ministries, so you'll get experience and great contacts. My friends and family are so excited to see me back in school with the Mac at Night program at Criswell College. A Master of Arts in Counseling has never been so convenient. 
Come on, join me for Mac at Night. For more details, call 800-899-0012 or visit chriswell.edu. Invest in God's kingdom and in yourself through the Chriswell College. See us on the web at chriswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. But I assume in here you agree with what I have to say. No, no, Christian no. right is monolithic and, and, and all Christians think the same thing. There's about 30% of us in the evangelical community. That you are an evangelical yourself. I am an evangelical. Mm-hmm. So you're a Republican. I am a Democrat. No, no, no. You should check. No, no. Check check your ID card. It should be red. <laughs> well, uh, Colbert and Tony Campolo there. Tony Campolo has written the book Red Letter Christians, A Citizen's Guide to Faith and Politics. Dr. Campolo, well-known speaker out there on the circuit, uh, certainly a funny guy, a prophetic speaker, also a professor at Eastern University, a Baptist minister. Uh, welcome to the program, Dr. Campolo. Good to be with you, Doctor. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and uh, we've enjoyed listening to these sound bites. Uh, and um, we want to ask you about this book, and really that uh, that sound we just heard, because we're all gearing up for the election season. What is your main point? Do you see a moral equivalency between the Republican Party and the Democrat Party? I think there are good reasons for being a Republican if you're a Christian. I think there are good reasons for being a Democrat if you're a Christian. I wish there was some party that brought the best of both together, because I find that there are virtues and vices in each of the parties. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this uh, the caricature that the Christian right has tried to make Jesus into a Republican, or the Republican Party, the Christian Party. I've heard that criticism from Wallace, from you, and from others. Let me ask you this, though. The big story yesterday was about James Dobson. James Dobson speaking out against John McCain last year. Tony Perkins speak. It seems to me that the leaders of uh, the conservative wing of, of evangelical America are actually critics of the Republican Party, to the right of the Republican Party, rebels acting outside of the Republican Party. What do you think of that? Well, I think that's very refreshing. I think that whenever uh, Christians lose perspective and uh, accept uncritically a political party, they've made a major mistake, whether that's the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. I think that uh, we have to acknowledge that Jesus is neither a Democrat nor a Republican. We dare not create a Jesus in our own political image. We have to recognize that Christ is above that. And as we identify with Christ, we have the capacity with Scripture to come back to each of our respective parties and make judgments on their policies in terms of what the Bible teaches. And I think that James Dobson is doing just that. I think he's rising above and saying, hey, I read the Scriptures, I look at these two parties. I'm not happy with either of them. I'm going with John McCain because uh, he is not as disastrous from my point of view as the uh, Democratic candidates are. Uh, I'm going over here, but I'm not happy. And I think that's, um, that shows uh, something about the fact that uh, he's more of a Christian than he is a Republican. 
and that Christianity comes first in his life. And that's the way it should be for those on the Democratic side as well. Uh, let's get to the book, Dr. Campola. The idea of red-letter Christianity or ethics or politics, is it a question of inspiration of these red letters or of emphasis? What is your point about red-letter Christianity? Well, uh, let's go back to your original question, and that'll answer your question that you just raised. Um, I think that you're quite right in when you uh, say the evangelical cr- uh, community is not monolithically Republican. I think that's a good thing to say, and it's an accurate thing to say. What I think you would agree with is on the popular circuit, and I, I'm on the popular circuit. I go to places like Harvard or uh, Northwestern University and, uh, as a speaker, and uh, usually at the invitation of the sociology department, uh, because that's what I am, a sociologist. And the minute I say I'm an evangelical, the red flags go up. Mm. And they say, oh, we've got you figured out. And they make all these generalized judgments about me, which aren't necessarily true. And uh, there are many places where I, uh, I don't fit into the Republican mold at all. And so uh, I, I, we began to say, you know, we, we, we are people who, who are falling outside of that culturally defined box. I think your statement about evangelicals not being what the world perceives evangelicals as being is an accurate statement. I think you would also agree that the popular media has a tendency to cast us in a certain way. You're an evangelical, you're anti-gay, you're anti-women, you're pro-war, you're against, you're pro-capital punishment, uh, you are anti-environmentalist, and we're saying, wait a minute, uh, you can't make those generalizations about us, but the world does. And so we, we got this name assigned to us uh, by a, a secular Jewish country and Western disc jockey in Nashville, Tennessee. You said, oh, you guys are into those red letters of the Bible, the words of Jesus, and you want a politics that conforms to the uh, radical teachings of Jesus. And we said, that's it. That's where we are. Well, let's talk about some of those issues on the list and the red letter um, take on those issues. The war. I'm looking at your book. You have a chapter on the war. We've been talking about Obama and McCain today in the first segment. Uh, what is your take on the war in Iraq? What is your proposal based upon uh, the New Testament? Well, I have this uh, to say that uh, there are three proposals that I would like to see followed. Uh, first of all, I think from the New Testament point of view, we, we, we didn't do what the Bible says uh, when we looked at Iraq. Uh, for 10 years, there was an embargo on the country that caused the death of a half a million children, according to the Red Cross. And that was largely due to the fact that the food and medicine for oil arrangement that had been set up was violated by Saddam Hussein, and he was building palaces instead of feeding his people. But for we had an embargo and kept out food, kept out medicine, and a, quarter, a half a million kids died. What if the church, leave the government out of this, what if the church with his vast resources, had bought food and clothing and medicine and uh, put it in trucks in Jordan, carted it across the desert, and fed the hungry, clothed the naked, uh, took care of the sick, like the Book of Romans tells us to do. Hey, feeding the poor, I can agree with you on that. We've had Tony Hall on this program, a sure. Democrat, a Christian, a great man. We can agree on feeding the poor. But uh, let's go on, though, to the issue of the war. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Uh, would we, you know, that passage says, if you had done these things, 
Would you have not brought down coals of fire on your enemy's head? Would you not have undercut the uh, power and authority of Saddam Hussein? Can we overcome evil with good? Redditor Christians would say, yes, there are people who say that's not realistic politics, but we say the Bible is realistic, and it's not that Christianity has failed, it has not been tried. Dr. Campola, I look at your book here, and I see that you're quoting from Romans 12.20 about your enemies and turning the other cheek and not being overcome with evil and so forth. Mm -hmm. But if you continue to read, and you know these chapter divisions are not inspired. It's an ongoing comment from Paul. Within two or three verses, Romans 13 and following, the role of the government is to wield the sword against the evildoer Mm -hmm. to protect innocent human life. So I think the passage you're referring to is about individual uh, striking back, but the clear command for government is to wield the sword and um, to protect human life and to use deadly force. And I guess here's my question. I'm reading this proposal in your book that President Bush get up in front of the U.N. and apologize for the weapons of mass destruction mistake. And it was a mistake, uh, that thinking that there were weapons of mass destruction. But, you know, what about the fact that there were 17 U.N. resolutions that Saddam didn't comply with? What about the fact that he violated the no-fly zone? He violated the inspection regime? He tried to assassinate the first President Bush? Do you think that our country should... Um, just overlook all of those violations and really attacks upon our country. Uh, If you go to my book, it's not that I'm going to go back and undo the past. I say, what do we do right now? And I think we have to do certain things right now. You mentioned one. Uh, Second Chronicles 714 says, if my people who are called by my name will confess their sins and and humble them, humble themselves, confess their sins. I, I will restore the the land. Well, I agree with that. I like that. Yeah. Well, I think it, it, it's inconceivable to many Christians that America should humble itself. I think the president needs to say to the rest of the world, I, I really thought I was doing the good thing. I really thought I was doing the right thing when I sent the troops in there, but. Somewhere between 200,000 and 500,000 Iraqis have died. 4,000 American soldiers have died. Uh, the, uh, the wounded and the uh, psychological suffering has been incredible. And I made a mistake. And I, I need, to, on behalf of the American people, to say it's time for us to move beyond this. But it begins by us saying, this was a mistake. Forgive us for making a mistake. Mm-hmm. When we, it's not a mis, it's not an error to go before the world and say I've made a mistake. When the whole world knows you've made a mistake, most Americans believe it was a mistake to invade in the first place. But wait a minute, uh, the Congress authorized it. The polls at the time approved it, and you do say that in your book that most yeah. Americans supported at the time. You can't go back though. Well, no. All I'm saying is we were wrong. Uh, and and what is wrong with saying? We were wrong. Well, I happen to think we were right because of those other reasons. But we can disagree as Christians on that. And when we come back, let's talk about some other issues because you're not a single-issue guy. Let's talk about marriage and abortion and the environment. Dr. Tony Campolo has written the book, Red Letter Christians. I have to let Penna get in here. Dr. Campolo and I have dominated this segment. So when we come back, Penna Dexter will uh, be talking with you as well. 
Uh, again, this is Jerry Johnson Live with Dr. Tony Kempola. In fact, we'll open up the lines. There might be some folks out there who've read the book or looked at it or you've heard some of this interview. You want to ask Dr. Kempola a question, 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. Dr. Tony Kempola will be back after the break. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. You have to be an aberration though, right? Because the Christian right is this monolith that cannot be crossed. But there's a whole gang of us that are emerging called red-letter Christians. What's a red-letter Christian? They're people who believe in the red letters of the Bible, you know, those verses of of Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And we are totally committed to it, which means that we're into compassion for the poor. First and foremost, compassion to the poor. Jesus said, you will have the poor always. Yes. Jesus said, you will have the poor always. That's right. Doesn't that mean give up and on helping on the poor? Judgment day, yes. And on Judgment Day, he will judge you, mister, in terms of how you related to the poor. All right, that's Tony Campolo giving it to Colbert on the Colbert Report. And we have Tony Campolo on the line today. He's written the book, Red Letter Christians. You know, we've seen this with that evangelical manifesto that we talked about, where some Christians are criticizing the Christian right for placing too much emphasis on issues like abortion and the advancing homosexual agenda. And it's almost like it has to be an either-or between caring for the poor or caring about those moral issues. I, I don't really think it is. Uh, we're going to talk about this, uh, especially about the idea of single-issue voters, people who consider the pro-life issue to be their number one bottom-line issue. But let's go back to Stephen Colbert and uh, Tony Campolo. And here's where uh, Tony uh, contrasted the Old Testament teaching to the teachings of Jesus. Jesus ups the ante. He says, this is what the, it said in the Hebrew Bible, But I give you a new commandment. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you. And he would even say, love and justice for people who are oppressed. And you've got to admit, gay people have been oppressed in our society. We're not affirming a lifestyle. What we are saying, we want justice for our gay brothers and our lesbian sisters because we think that God loves them, loves them intensely, and he wants good for them. We are taking your calls at 800-881-9270. We've lost Dr. Campolo for a moment. And uh, one of the things, though, that he uh, proposes in his book, The Red Letter Christians, is that the state get out of the marriage business altogether because he's talking about marriage sort of as a package of benefits and thinks homosexuals should get the same benefits as heterosexuals. And so it's just that the church would marry people and the state would not do that. So when he gets back, we'll ask him about that. But let's take a call or two, Dr. Johnson. Yes, that sounds good. We'll go on to Ron in Richardson. Ron is off the line. Let's go to Sherry in Plano. Sherry, thank you for calling. What's your thought? Well, um, good afternoon, everyone. I just, um, you know, in listening to the show, first of all, I'm independent. And um, I think, I guess my question would be, why why are we even over in Iraq? Um, It's not a Christian country, and Jesus basically said, you know, let the dead bury the dead. And, you know, I'm just, I'm wondering if we even needed to be over there, or if Saddam just needed to rule his country, and, you know, rather than us losing our our Christian children, and, you know, even non-Christian, but just our 
um, you know, the Americans over there to fight for something that, you know, who knows how it's going to turn out. They're, they're not Christian. They don't believe the way we believe. Mm. So... Well, thank you, Sherry, for that question. I think there are a lot of Americans that are asking that kind of question. I think the reason we're over there is so they won't be over here bombing our buildings and terrorizing our people. Uh, We saw on 9-11 that uh, the bad guys, the evildoers, will come to the United States, the Islamo-fascists, the Islamo-terrorists. They will come over here, and they will try to exterminate as many Americans as possible. And so we have to find the leaders and the countries who have aims against us. We have to take preemptive action. Now, I want to remind you that Saddam Hussein was paying, paying $25,000 to every family of a suicide bomber in Israel. Now, that's just another illustration of his pro-terror policies. He was funding suicide bombers in Israel. And uh, again, he tried to assassinate the first President Bush. Now, I've got to tell you, I think any world leader who funds an assassination attempt on a former U.S. president should be taken out without any further question. That would be enough for me. In fact, Bill Clinton sent some missiles over. Now, this is not disputed. You need to look it up on the Internet. Uh, Hussein tried to kill President Bush I after he was out of office, visiting Saudi Arabia, and Clinton sent these missiles in retaliation. But a man should not be able to stay in office if he's trying to kill U.S. politicians. Again, uh, the first Gulf War was never concluded. There was a ceasefire based upon a no-fly zone, based upon inspection regime of um, Saddam Hussein's weapons, and... He violated both of those conditions. Essentially, he uh, reenacted um, the first Gulf War, um, reengaged it, I should say, uh, when he violated the no-fly zone and kicked out the U.N. inspectors. He brought them on himself. And uh, frankly, uh, our foreign policy is not based upon other countries being Christian. It's based upon protecting innocent human life here in the United States of America. That's why we go those places, and we do the hard things. One of the things we do like to see is democracy, though, and now we have a democracy. It's burgeoning, it's growing, and it's developing, but right in the heart of the Middle East, besides Israel, we actually now have an Arab democracy, and, you know, for us to even think about apologizing for uh, helping that to happen, I think is it would be counterproductive in a sense and uh, sort of unpatriotic for us to say that our people died for that and then we're going to apologize for it. Just the opposite of what we need to be doing. Uh, the bombings in Beirut, we didn't react. The USS Cole, we didn't react. Uh, our failure to react on the coal, our failure to react in Beirut, encouraged, emboldened the terrorist. And what they respect is strength. And uh, this is what got Gaddafi's attention, is strength. And that needs to be. Yes, as Christians we love. We turn the other cheek. We evangelize. We do missions. We feed the poor and the hungry. And we help those with AIDS. That's the job of the church. But the state's role is not to play nice and to be nice. The state's role is to wield the sword and to protect the citizenry, the population. This is what the U.S. Constitution says, to protect us from enemies, foreign and domestic. That is the job. We want a tough guy's president, not the powder puff politician. 
Okay, we got John on the line from Dallas. John, thank you for calling. What's your take on this? We're still trying to get Campolo. His phone is busy there at the hotel. I think he thinks, he thinks he's we're still there. holding, and we've sent someone to the room to knock on the door. Let's hope we get him back on. John, what's your thought? I guess I have a question concerning Christian involvement with secular politics, and my question is this. There is no uh, other kind of politics, by the way. Okay. But <laughs> I get your point. Uh, I guess my question is, if we did have Christian senators, uh, Christian presidents, Christian judges, uh, would that be right, and what kind of difference would it make? I'm going to hang up and let you answer that question, but I do want to make a quick uh, of reference to British history, where they did have uh, strong Christian government, and it was somewhat ineffective well i i think uh that's a good question john what i'm not looking for necessarily uh, i'm not making the case that all of our politicians must be professing evangelical christians um what i'm saying is as americans this is government of for and by the people and i think what christians should strive for is government of for and by the people representative government that represents our worldview. Christians have a worldview uh, about marriage, about human life, uh, about the sanctity of innocent human life, about the environment, about the economy, about the poor. Christians have a view of men and things. That is, we have a view about all of life, and we should seek representative government that will represent that viewpoint. That has been uh, a viewpoint that has blessed this country. In fact, I, I do agree that many of the founding fathers, some of them at least, were not evangelical Christians, but they were operating out of the Christian worldview. And so Jefferson, being a deist, nevertheless penned these words, we hold these truths self-evident, that we are all created, equal, and endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights, the right to life, the right to liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Jefferson the deist rooted the human rights that we value here in the United States in the notion of a Creator God who gives us these rights. Government can't take them. Government can't give them away. Government can't negotiate them away. These are rights given to us by God. No one can take them away. And I happen to think the right to life, and this is where I think Campolo is wrong. If he comes back, we'll talk about this, Penna. The right to life is non-negotiable, according to the Declaration of Independence, and it ought to be for Christians. There is not a moral equivalency between the right to life and uh, feeding the poor. I mean, you're not going to get a chance to feed these people if they're exterminated in the womb before they even come out and live. Uh, there's nothing more important than the sanctity of life, because without life, you're not even here. You're not here to be married, whether you're straight or gay. <laughs> you're, uh, that issue transcends all others. And I, I would like to know if Campola would think that Wilberforce was a, a single-issue politician. In fact, Dr. Campola is back on the line. We're sorry for the mix-up, sir. Sorry. sorry. Uh, listen, we were talking about single-issue politics. Uh, do you think that William Wilberforce was a single-issue politician uh, when he fought slavery and said, look, human life is sacred, it's special, 
Uh, but I, I hope you can hold over after this break. We're already up on a hard break. I have no choice. But you get the question. Let's How long talk. will the break be? Because I waited 10 minutes on the last one. Well, actually, you missed the segment. Somehow the line broke through. So the break will be three and a half minutes, four okay, minutes. I'll hold on. Please hold on. We'll be right back. Criswell College is proud to present the new Mac at Night program. It's a Master of Arts in Counseling degree obtained by attending evening block classes. There are licensure and non-licensure options depending on your career goals. Mac at Night features some of the best professors in the field of Christian counseling, and all courses are biblically based. Expand your ministry or prepare for a doctorate. Criswell College makes it simple and convenient. All Mac at Night courses are scheduled with the working professional in mind. If you've got a full-time job, a busy lifestyle, or even raising a family, you're perfect for Mac at Night. Get your Master of Arts in Counseling at Criswell College with Mac at Night. Call 800-899-0012 or go to criswell.edu. That's 800-899-0012 or criswell.edu. Invest in God's work and yourself through this convenient program through the Criswell College. It's Mac at Night. See criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. Listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Welcome back. Our guest is Tony Campolo. He's written the book Red Letter Christians. Dr. Campolo, uh, Dr. Johnson asked you the Wilberforce question, and just going along with that, I know that there are a lot of people listening, and I'm really included in this, that uh, thinks the life issue is just very, very important, pretty much bottom line in picking a candidate. So is it wrong, in your opinion, because I know you're pro-life, to place that much importance on the abortion issue? Not at all. I think there are times when single issues should dominate, uh, when uh, no matter what else is at stake, uh, there are those moments uh, when one issue tends to uh, be so important that it takes precedence in our thinking. And when it comes to uh, the pro-life issue, I think you've got to face that question. And uh, there are two things I want to say. The first is, for two years, the Republicans controlled the White House, the Congress, and had a conservative Supreme Court because of appointments to the court. There was not even a slight attempt to overturn Roe versus Wade. I would think that evangelicals who voted... Not because a lot of people didn't want to do so. They just didn't feel like the climate was right and they would have failed. Let me just say, they owned the Congress, they owned the White House, they had the control of the court. What else do they need? I don't I, think they felt they had enough control of the court with well, a certain... Whatever they felt, they didn't even try, and it seems to me that the difference between now and Wilberforce is Wilberforce kept on trying, even when it didn't look like he could mm. win. In this case, the Republicans could have overturned it. I think that the Republicans took the evangelicals to the cleaners on that. You know, so Coppola, I want to agree with you about this. I just want to speak up here to say I do feel like there were two wasted years 
uh, the president and the Congress and the Senate. There were a lot of pro-family issues and pro-life issues, and it was not on the top ten list of things to do when they took over in Washington. And I do think that's why a lot of conservative Republicans really did uh, pull away from the Republican Party in those midterm elections. And I think that's why they're out there wondering right now uh, if they can trust Republicans, much less Democrats, to keep promises to Christians. Very important. The other side and issue that I need to raise is that um, in addition to making it so that Roe versus Wade is overturned, we also have to address certain economic issues that are driving women to abortion, and I address those in the book. Uh, I would like to see both things happen. I'd like to see the Republicans get the political side in their agenda, but I also think the economic side has to be addressed. If you have a woman who's 18, 19 years old, who's pregnant out of wedlock, and I know she shouldn't be, but she is, and she doesn't have any hospital coverage, uh, she's working at a minimum wage, can hardly support herself and pay her rent. She has no maternity leave, so if she quits her job to have the baby, she loses her job. No option for daycare. It seems to me that you have to face the fact that studies indicate that um, a huge proportion of uh, abortions, maybe as many as 70%, I think it may be 50% is more realistic, are driven by those forces. I would say, as a Democrat, if we're going to end abortion, we've got to also address the economic issues. We have to raise the minimum wage so she can support the baby. We have to provide her with medical care. We have to provide her with maternity leave. And we've got to provide daycare for her. I know that sounds like government spending. But it is you cannot spending. simply say to women, have the baby, and then not make the provision. But you know, when you do those things, you really encourage that culture of single motherhood. I well, think it's better for the church to deal with those issues. Let me ask you one uh, other okay, question. Okay, we about agree. We agree. We agree. So if the church is willing to take up the economic slack, uh, it will solve the problem. So that we're in agreement with, that the church should but the church isn't. Let's but, talk about uh, the homosexual agenda real quickly before we get to the end of the program, because I saw sort of a radical proposal in your book about kind of getting the state out of the marriage issue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I just kind of want you to explain that one. Well, when the President of the United States says that marriage is a sacred institution, he's absolutely right. And if it is a sacred institution, then the government should not be determining who gets married and who doesn't. The church should. So I'm uh, uh, opting for uh, the European model. And the European model goes something like this, that a couple goes down to get uh, their civil rights. Some countries of Europe. Yeah, some countries of Europe. Uh, goes down and gets their civil rights registered at the city hall. And uh, that's their rights. Whether they're a heterosexual couple or a homosexual couple, you get your rights designated down there. And I think most evangelicals say, look, we, we want them to have their rights. We just don't want to call it marriage. Then the next thing is that if they want to get married, they've got to go to the church, and the church does the marrying. Are there liberal churches that would marry gays? Yes, there are. But I don't want uh, the government trampling on my rights. I'm a conservative and saying uh, gay marriage is legitimate and the church is responsible for marrying gay couples. I think the, church, the government ought to stay out of it. And the church itself should say, we're going to marry a couple or we're not going to marry a couple. It's up to the church to decide who gets married and who doesn't get but married. But, Dr. Campolo, so much of the economic good that you're concerned about uh, would be removed if families were falling apart and there weren't uh, fathers and mothers biologically attached to those kids committed to them financially in other ways. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. But let's face it. 
the family is falling apart. And there are so do we want to accelerate that? I, I, I'd like to finish the statement. The marriage family is falling apart. But let's be honest, it's falling apart because of what the heterosexuals are doing. It's the heterosexuals that are getting divorced. The gays want to get married. And the church has not done hardly anything to keep marriages together. We've done very, very little to hold marriages together. I agree with you. Dr. Coppola, uh, we're out of time. Oh, okay. I want to thank you, though, for being here today. Thank I want you to thank your you. courtesy. I want to thank you for being willing to be with us, even though we disagree on some of these political points. But I want to say this. I agree with you about Jesus. I like the way you talk about Jesus Christ, and uh, there is something there that we agree on. And, uh, again, I thank you for that. And... Uh, We'll have you back sometime. Okay, and thank you for your politeness. All right. Love you much in the Christ. Tony Campolo has written the book Red Letter Christians. I don't think this has to be either or, Penna, as we go off today. I was uh, on the cell phone walking from the parking lot to the building today. There was a woman. She was black. She was African-American standing at the door to the college. She was waiting for me, obviously, to get off the line. I was talking to one of our trustees. <laughs> I said, well, hold here. I knew what she was going to ask. She was asking for some money. Mm -hmm. It was hot. She had a story. You never know if you believe people like that or not, but sometimes you you just have to go with what you feel like the Spirit of God is wanting you to do. And I don't always do this, And uh, but, you know, I gave her some money, and I said, look, I'm giving this to you in Jesus' name. And she started weeping, and I said, you know, God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for your sins on the cross. He was raised from the dead, and you need to look to Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus. I think Christians can be pro-life, pro-family, pro-strong militaries, pro-fighting the Islamo-terrorist, and I think we can minister to the poor. It is Christians who run these crisis pregnancy centers. I mean, there's so much we could talk about with Dr. Campolo. I think he's wrong on the politics, again, wrong on the war, wrong on marriage, wrong on life, but I am glad he's right about Jesus. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective. 